Today we're mainly going to be in Luke chapter 10, but I'm going to start in the book of Galatians chapter 5, and we're continuing on being rooted and grounded in agape love. It's our third week, and uh, I truly believe that God wants me to park here, has wanted me to park here for this uh, length of time. Um, And as those of you who are getting your Bibles uh, ready, the verses will be on the screen uh, for those of you who don't. Um, we'll go ahead and get started. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We're free in the Lord. We're free indeed. Amen? But we're free from the bondage of sin and death. We're not free to do our own thing. We're free to serve the Lord. Amen? The will of God must be a reality in our lives, but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am privileged to be pastor of a church that is a loving church. And I can't commend you enough. I believe God has drawn people to this, uh, to this body because of the love that he has deposited into this body. We care about one another. We care about our community. We care about those who are in need. And so I am proud and I'm privileged to be the pastor of a church of such wonderful people who really want to grow in the love of God, who really get it and realize that it's all about relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Are you hearing me? And yet, The journey still goes on. We still need to grow in these things. And I believe God is challenging us to to take further steps in that journey. Uh, Let's go uh, to a passage in Luke chapter 10 that I feel, I don't think it's often referenced in in a message of agape love. But it's going to get referenced in a message on agape love today. For good reason. Chapter 10, starting at the 25th verse. We find a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus. And it starts, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So he's being... He's being a lawyer, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, 
said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I'm going to come back to that at, uh, later on in the message, but I want to bring attention to this. Because this lawyer, and until we need one, we all have, seem to have a negative view of lawyers and everything. But God bless them when you need them, right? But this lawyer engages in something that is common to human nature. It's common to all of us, right? When we ask a question, sometimes we ask a question with, with ourselves in mind, wanting to justify ourselves rather than wanting to surrender to God's truth, right? So this guy knows what the word of God says. Jesus said, hey, you're right. Do that and you're good. But that wasn't good enough. And I believe because there are certain people in his life that he's justified to himself doesn't deserve that kind of love. There's certain excuses built into his life that he's comfortable with. And rather than change and conform, he wants some clarification so he can narrow his focus. Well, then, who is my neighbor? Who am I obligated to love as my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? We'll cover the backside of that, and I'll cover the compare and contrast. But that's his heart. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, rather than just answering him directly, answers him with a parable. And there is a lot to unpack in that parable that many of us have gone over many times. But we're going to do it again, and, and I pray that, that God really gives you something uh, of significance for each of you personally. Jesus replied to that question. By saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we have in this parable, it doesn't give a name. Uh, to me, it is apparent or obvious that he is of Jewish descent. He's traveling down a road that is well known to be uh, full of robbers and thieves. Uh, the, the threat of being treated like this man was, was always present. So it was a huge risk. 
Uh, I've heard it said by some, thank God, not, not a lot, by some, that he, some think that he deserved it by going on that road by himself. Most people travel by caravan or group in order to have extra protection as they travel this road. But to think like that is to miss the point of the parable. Because in the parable, not just the man who got beat up and left half dead walked down that road by himself. Everybody, all four people in the parable walked down that road by themselves. That, that's not what the Lord wants us. He doesn't want us looking at the victim with a critical eye. There is a message that he's trying to deliver to this man who asked a question with the purpose of justifying him loving his neighbor on his own terms. Instead of fully investing and fully applying himself to loving his neighbor with agape love by God's terms, by God's standards. Are you hearing me today? And he's speaking to the, that question and to the nature of that question. So we're not going to focus on the judgment of the guy who was beaten up on. And we're not going to have any attitudes about whether or not he deserved it. Uh, because this is coming from the Messiah. Who paid a sin debt for us. Right? Who did for us what we did not deserve to have done for us. So obviously it's not the heart of Jesus for us to think in those terms as we look at this passage. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? We didn't deserve this salvation that we get. It's the love of God that compelled him. Right? To send his only begotten son to pay the way, our way for salvation and reconciliation with him. So... So this man is beaten and he's half dead. I'm not necessarily going to judge anybody today. The priest and the Levite will just bunch them in together. Men of God, if there was anyone that this guy had a right to expect them to care and have compassion about him, uh, uh, toward him and to conduct themselves toward him in the agape of love, it's these guys who had vowed themselves to serve the Lord. But they didn't agape him, did they? Well, I got two or three people answering me. We already talked about agape love is a sacrificial love. It looks outside of oneself. It does not look for what it can be benefited by. It loves out of compassion. It, it, it acts out of a, of a selfless love that seeks the betterment of someone else without consideration for anything in return. Not because they earn it or deserve it. Right? You might not particularly be crazy about the individual, but you know God loved them. God so loved them that he sent his only begotten son to die for them on the cross. And because God loves them, we're going to act 
in the way that pleases the heart of God. We're going to act toward them, right, in a way that's, that represents God well. Are you hearing me today? Right? Because I'm thinking about what possible excuses that could have been made in the mind of the, uh, 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 of the priest and the Levite who did not stop. Road was a dangerous road. For them to stop might put themselves at risk. And that's a legitimate reason, but it's also an excuse not to really act in obedience to God, right? Because God is our protector. He's our defense. If he's called us to do something, he's going to give us the grace, the ability to do it, right? And he's going to, he's going to protect us. And, and that doesn't mean that we're not going to face challenges, but whatever challenges come as we're walking in obedience to God, he's going to give us the ability to walk it out, walk through it. And so I can see that as an excuse. Hey, they're a priest and a Levite, so they have to serve the Lord. They could say, you know what? I would, I could do something, but man, if I do it, I'm going to be late for church. You know, I'm going to pray for some. Somebody needs to help that man. I'm going to pray for somebody to do that. Uh, I would, but I'm, I, I'm busy. I'm on my way. Some might look at it and say, my goodness, this dude is half dead. I don't know CPR. Um, you know, I'm not a nurse. I don't, what can I do? It's too big for me. What little I can do, would it make any difference? These are, these are the thoughts that kind of run through our head sometimes when we're trying to determine whether or not we can go. When the simple matter is, what does the word of God say? What would Christ do? What, you know, what, what, what has God called us to? And then acting in accordance with that. Like I said earlier, some might say, well, he brought it up on himself when he made the dumb decision to walk this road by himself. Or we might get to that where, hey, I would help if you asked me. You can ask for help. It's quiet as church mice in here right now. But not only did they not help him, I mean, they gave him a wide berth. They walked by him on the other side of the road. Uh, being a priest and a Levite, maybe they'll think, no, I mean, I, I, I'm going to serve God. I can't have someone else's blood on my garments. This is a little too messy for me. Life can be messy. And we, do we really want to get involved in somebody else's mess? Well, we serve, we, serve, uh, uh, we serve a Savior who got involved in our mess. Right? And, and you know, God, God is in the business of cleaning up messes. Right? He's in the business of, of, of taking the brokenness of our lives and, and, and healing and making us anew, making us again another, restoring us. Amen? Right? And he's called us to be his hands and his feet, to, to, to be humble and willing 
and, 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 and surrendered enough to go into the messes that he would call us to and bring the life of Christ. Amen? We have to be willing to do that uh, uh, because uh, the, you know, the church has to exist outside of the four walls of a building. It, it, it has to be relevant outside of our own group of believers. We, we, we have to be uh, relevant in the society and in the community that God has called us into. Right? And for us to be relevant in people's lives means we're going to have to get involved in people's life to the extent that they will allow us. We're not going to press or push our way into people's lives, but, but people need to know the God that we serve, how much he loves them and cares for them. And if they won't take the initiative to come into a church, right, then rather than judge them, we need to be very proactive about going out into the highways and byways and into the community and with the love of God to make those relationship connections so that they might come to know the God that we know and taste for themselves and see that he is good. You know, there's a lot wrong in society, and it's easy to, to, to judge and complain. But the question that before us is, what can I do? What would you have me do, Lord, to make a difference in my community, to make a difference in my family, to make a difference in my job, <laughs> to make a difference in my school, to make a difference for you, Lord? The gates of hell should not prevail against this church. That means we should be advancing. Not with judgment and condemnation, but we have a gospel. <laughs> we have good news. That those dwelling in darkness need to hear. That they themselves might come to the Lord and, and, and be snatched out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you hearing me today? They had their reasons. But in this story, Jesus, who is talking to a Jewish audience, makes the star of the parable a Samaritan. And I won't get into all the details of it, but I'll suffice it to say the Jews and Samaritans despised each other. Uh, it was probably a surprise, maybe even a shock, to his audience, that he would make the Samaritan in this story the good guy. But he did. And let's look at what he did and uh, let that speak to us this morning. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he, was, he had somewhere to go, somewhere to be, just like the priest and just like the Levite. He wasn't just lollygagging with nothing to do. He had a destination in mind. And let's see what he did. He came to where the guy was. He went to him. He didn't wait and, and see if the guy had the strength to come to him. He went to him. Just like we're called. We're called to our neighborhoods. We're called to our communities. We're called to our state, our country. We're called 
to minister the gospel throughout the whole world. Right? And we're called to go. Not just pray for them to come, but to be laborers in the vineyard, going to get those whom, whom, God's, whom God has already prepared their hearts to receive the gospel if his going children are out there to meet them where they're at. But as he journeyed, he came to where this man was. And when he saw him, it says he had what? All right, I got one studious one in the classroom. I'm going to try this again. It said, when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Can we see other people with compassion? I mean, of course, we're going to have compassion toward the ones that we brought into this world. We're going to have compassion uh, to those whom we share bloodlines with. We're going to have compassion with, with close friends and people that we have things in common with. But, but what about the others? Can we see their plight? There was nothing in common between this Samaritan and the Jewish man who was half dead on the ground. As a matter of fact, there was great division between them. Culturally, racially, societally, there was great division there. So we look, got to look at that in light of that backdrop. There's a lot of reasons that he could have used to justify to himself not stopping and not caring about the plight of this man. And yet, he, he took upon, he paused. He looked upon the man. He knew that he was a Jewish man, but he went to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Uh, some translations say he had mercy. I'm looking at this, uh, and I'm even... I know what the word says, but what I'm seeing illustrated here is agape. And let's read on. He went to him. There he goes again. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, so he's caring for him. He's treating him. He's doing for him what the man at the moment is not able to do for himself. Pouring, in oil, pouring on oil and wine on his wounds. You know, wine, in this case, would, would serve as a sort of an antiseptic. Oil like a salve, right? So, so you have some, so some disinfecting going on, and then you have some soothing, comfort. To aid in the healing process. Of this man, this man, physical wounds, but but oftentimes, when we're dealing with people, we're dealing with people who have wounds of the heart. You know, wounds of the soul, right? The the wounds that aren't visible to the naked eye, but they exist. And God is calling us, right, to 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 go to them, to set those broken bones. In the spirit, amen? All right? To, to, to care enough to bind up those wounds, pour a little oil and wine on them in Jesus' name. Not to get anything out of it, not, not, not even to, 
Not even for the motivation of, I'm going to do this with the expectation that they're going to come to church here. No, 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 no. We're just going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Right? We're, we're going to do it because our Lord and Savior would have done it. Right? We're going to do it because out of obedience because the Bible says to love our neighbor as ourselves. And who wouldn't in that situation want someone to care enough to see them? To care enough to do something to help them in their time of need. Amen? Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let's, let's pause here. If he had his own donkey or mule, whatever you want to call it, whenever he would get tired, he'd get on that, and it would make the journey more, more, more doable, right? It's less burden on him. But this man, again, he's from the enemy side. He's from the, the Jewish people who look down their nose at us Samaritans. He's already done more for this God than the priest and the Levite dare do. And he puts him on his animal, which means he himself walked. And let his animal carry the man to an end while he walked there on foot. And when he got to the end, he took care of him there. He stayed a while and took care of him to make sure it was all right. Get him checked into the inn. Get him a room. Get a meal into his, into his stomach. He just loved on him. He agapeed him. And let's look at this. Uh, let, let's read on. And uh, what did he say to the, uh, to the innkeeper? He says, uh, the next day, he took out two denarii. Uh, that was going to probably pay for about two, three weeks of stay in the inn. That's not, that's not a, a, a day or two of stay at the inn. That's going to at least get him, keep him there for a couple of weeks or uh, maybe stretch it to three. But he took out a couple of denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend... I will repay you when I come back through. Now, this guy, he, he doesn't know this guy's uh, financial estate, his financial status. He doesn't know, doesn't care whether this man will ever be able to pay him back or not. That's not his motivation, right? This guy was a man in need. He had the capacity and a willing heart to meet that need, and he did it. And it would have been commendable had he, had he done no more but taken care of the guy and, and got him a room. It would have been commendable had he just dressed his wounds and just made sure whether or not the guy was all right. Obviously, the guy was in too bad a shape for him to be able to walk on his own. But So he took him to the, to the hotel, to the inn, got him situated, nice safe bed, told the innkeeper. Now, he still has somewhere to go. So he eventually delayed, got on his way, 
and went to wherever it was he needed to go. But he made preparations for this man to be taken care of until he came back around. And how, how many of you know that's going the extra mile? He had already done his good deed, but he had decided, no, what is the God kind of love? What is the God pay? I, 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 I want to, I want, I want, to, I want to be there and serve this guy until he's fully recovered. My aim, my goal is for this guy to be whole and to know that he's able to, to carry on forward in good health. And so having committed myself to this, I'm going to see it through. And then now it's time for the little bit of compare and contrast. Um, he asked, after saying this parable, which was the answer to the uh, lawyer's question, Jesus flips the script on him and asks him a question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Why do I draw attention to that question? Well, the lawyer's question, if you look at it, he's got himself as the center of his world. He's got himself as the center of attention. Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a parable and says, who was a neighbor to the man who was in need, right? He turns the question outward to get us to not focus on self, but to get us to focus outwardly on those who are in need, you know, to ask the question, well, who is my neighbor? Again, puts the focus on us and our will, and our needs, and our wants, and so forth. Who is my neighbors? No, 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 no. You're looking at it all wrong, son. I'm going to tell you this parable, and I'm going to ask you a question. Who was a neighbor to the guy who was in need? So my call to you is to be a neighbor to those who are in need. And and the obvious answer is anyone who is in need, you have whatever you have the capacity to do, do. Out of love, not for what you can get back, not just to make you feel good, but, but with the best interest of that person at heart. You know, you're going to do what you know pleases the heart of God. God loved that person so much that he gave his only son for them. And so... Regardless of whatever differences you might have, regardless of whatever issues that person might have, right, uh, we have to let Jesus love them through us. Are we willing to be that vessel of love that, that Jesus can love the unlovable through us? That Jesus can love those who, I don't know, if you believe that he deserved this because of his own uh, lack of judgment, those who, through faulty judgment, have fallen on difficult times, 
Can we, lo- can we let Jesus love them through us? Those we disagree with, can we let Jesus love them through us? And he answered, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. Jesus said, the man who showed him mercy. <laughs> Jesus asked the question, who do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, okay, then you go and do the same thing. It's hard for me not to sing, Mr. Rogers, would you be my neighbor? But he proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And I want to point out a few things. Uh, I will admit this doesn't originate from me, but uh, 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 I I ran across this and I, I felt like I needed to add this to the message. There are a few ways that the Samaritan was like Jesus in what he did. You know, Jesus was embraced and loved by many, but he was also despised by many, right? So we have a Samaritan here who was an outsider as far as the Jews' perspective is. He was an outsider and he was despised. He came on the scene after others had failed to meet the need. He came right to the afflicted man. He came to him. Just like Jesus crossed the stormy sea to meet the man dwelling in the tomb of the Gadarenes. The demon-possessed man, Jesus went to him. The woman at the well, Jesus went to him. The, The lame man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus went to him. All the people that the Pharisees criticized Jesus for sharing a meal and drinking wine with, fellowshipping with them, he went to them. You're getting the theme here? Jesus didn't. Now, there were many that sought. There were those that sought Jesus out, but but, but Jesus was purposeful. He was out in the community engaging those with the gospel of the kingdom. Ministering to those who are in need and giving them the truth of God's word. Like Jesus, the Samaritan gave tender care to one in need. And like Jesus, he provided for future needs. Jesus saves to the utmost, right? He provided for our need of salvation, but, 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 but he's also our Jehovah Jireh. He's also the one that provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? And so he is our will in the middle of a will. He is our all in all.
And I think there is significance. I think that that's that connection where the Samaritan not only provided for the man's needs in that moment, but he made provisions, further provisions for him, for his continued needs to continually be provided for. And I, I think we need to be mindful of that, you know, that we are ambassadors for Christ. We do represent him. And, and, and what has the word of God displayed of Christ's love? that we can emulate and, and carry forward um, in our daily lives uh, towards others. Um, I will conclude with this one verse in Ephesians 5. We just draw it up and what's the challenge here? I think I've beaten that dead horse. But what we're talking about is the gospel lived out. The gospel taken where it's needed most. Didn't Jesus say it's the sick that need a physician? When he was asked by the, by, by, by the religious folk, when he was asked why he spent so much time with the riffraff, he's like, it is the sick folk that need a physician. These these people are the very reason why I've come. They need me. That's why I'm here. And people still need him today. And that's why we're here in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians, I will finish with this. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, sons and daughters of God, therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children. And walk in love. Walk in agape. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for it. So it, it isn't our own definition of love, is it? You know, it isn't what passes, uh, what, what passes the societal standard. God has defined how he wants us to love one another. He has displayed it by his own actions what love means to him and what it ought to look like. And he has told us through his word here in Ephesians 5, be imitators of who? All right, be imitators of God. Right? So that means if my mama or my daddy did not live up to that standard of love, well, that's not my standard. The standard of love is God and what God's word says, right? Uh, uh, if, if, if people who are important in my life don't, don't live up to that standard of love, hey, that's no excuse. If I, if I belong to Christ, there's a standard. And he's called us to love according to that standard. We can justify all we want, we can try to justify or excuse a lowering of that standard. It, we can try to do that. But the bottom line is, that's not acceptable to God. And, and, and he's going to deal with us in our refusal 
to do what he's called us to do. And so that's just uh, um, because we made, like Jonah, when we bowed the knee and made Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior, we committed to his will, his word, his way. Right? And so our life doesn't belong to us anymore. It belongs to the one who redeemed us. Right? And so the one who has redeemed us has commanded us to love like he loves. And and as we found out in this parable, our neighbor is not the guy or the lady that lives in the same block. It's not the person next door. Right? We walk according to a different standard. We follow after the leading of our Lord and Savior. And he loved everyone in need was his neighbor. And he's telling us the same is true for us. It doesn't mean we got to that each one of us is personally responsible for meeting the need of everybody who has a need. But it means that we do need to have a soft heart of compassion that, 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 that God can use to, to, to lead us to the people that it, it is our assignment. It is uh, his will for us to love in their time of need. So, uh, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And that's why we got to always hear, we got to always read, we got to always meditate on the gospel, on the cross, on what Jesus did for us. Right? Because it will put us in remembrance of where we were before he did what he did. All of us were lost and doomed to go to hell apart from the love of God that compelled him to send his son Jesus for us. And, and, and he gave himself. It is like, he said, no one takes my life, I give it. I lay it down so that man may live again in relationship with his creator. And if we do that, we're a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's, it's a beautiful aroma to God. That's what he's looking for. That's what pleases his heart. That's what he's called us to. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and, and Jim, I thank you. Uh, it's that love of God that compelled Jim, who is not the most comfortable of public speakers. It, it, it's not in his wheelhouse to grab a microphone <laughs> and to come up before the church and speak. And yet, the Lord put it on his heart, and he did it out of loving obedience. Praise the Lord. 
And I'm thankful. Thank you, Jim, for letting the Lord use you in that way. And uh, uh, before I wrap things up, I'm going to at least ask if there was anyone that was ministered to that uh, is, is there anyone that experienced any a type of any healing as uh, during that time as Jim spoke and uh, he told you to you know put lay hands on your affected area and just believe God for healing is there anyone in here that received the healing today it's okay if you do if you do you don't um, but just in case there was, I want to give you an opportunity. Don't be afraid. Jim overcame his fear. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I got one hand back there. Paula, would you like to give testimony to what God did for you this morning? Yes, I've been having some digestive problems. and Ken, I fix him dinner, but I can't eat. Because there's been pain and also gas and stuff. But when I did that, when I stepped out in faith and was obedient to the word that came forth, and I said, Lord, I'm just trusting. I thank you for that word. And I'm receiving my healing. And I have no pain now. God is good. Lord, thank you for for, for, for touching Paula and healing her, Lord, as she acted in obedience and in faith. Hallelujah. Is there uh, anyone else? Um, I will, uh, I want to give everyone opportunity before we conclude the service. Robert? answers prayer well I did something uh, stupid during the ice storm out taking care of my animals I decided that uh, I needed to get ice out of the water trough for my ducks <laughs> thing probably weighed about 150 pounds and instead of lifting with my legs I lifted with my back so I've been walking around with a wretched back for about uh, oh, about eight or nine days you know and it's uh, it's been kind of a pain because my chores don't go away. I still have to continue to, to function, but uh, I've been living on ibuprofen. You know, I went back to taking the medication I haven't taken for a long time. But uh, anyway, I do notice that uh, I put my hands, I couldn't really turn around and put my hands on my back. So I put my the back of my hands on my back, but right now I'm standing here with no pain. So anyway, God bless. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anyone else going once? <laughs> going twice. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, too, for sharing. Uh, you know, God is a miracle-working God, but I can't emphasize enough. You know, I still believe the greatest miracle is salvation. Right? And so, uh, but God 
He desires to meet us where we're at every time. He hears your every cry. He sees you where you are. And the beautiful thing about what happened when Jim came out in obedience was, you know, there's a couple of people who got a chance. They already knew God. They already know God is with them and that God answers prayer. But, but they didn't even have to have someone lay hands on them. They didn't have to have the elders, you know, come before the elders. God met them, touched them, healed them right where they were. He's their personal healer, right? He's our personal savior. He's our personal friend, our personal Lord. And Father God, I thank you so much for your great love toward us. I, I, I continue to be overwhelmed by that, by the knowledge of your love that existed for us well before we even well before we even knew you, well before we even cared to. The same love that made you go to the cross and pay our sin debt compels you to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father every day. That same love compelled you while you were in the agony of suffering the cross, to pray, Father, forgive them. Forgive the ones who are doing this to me because they know not what they do. Thank you so much for loving us so very much that you provided a way of salvation while we were still sinners. Thank you, Jesus, that you willingly laid down your life. You sacrificed so much for our benefit, for our good. And because of what you did, you gave us everything, all of your holiness, all of your goodness, all of your authority, you laid all that down and became sin for us. You get all our faults. You get all our limitations. You get all our quirks and foibles. And you made us the righteousness of God. You gave us your righteousness. <laughs> you gave us your life life eternal it doesn't it doesn't feel like a good exchange it's great for us but shortchanged for you at least that's what it seems like on the surface but knowing your heart to the extent that I do um, there's so much I still don't know but knowing what I know of your heart that exchange was well worth it for you 
because you got us. We were your treasure. We were the apple of your eye. Yeah, we got faults. Yeah, we got issues. Yeah, we don't love you like we ought to love you. But we're yours. And making it so that we can be with you for eternity, that we can be in right relationship with you, on this earth and on into eternity. Was what really put a smile on your face and that is the joy that was set before you for which you endured the cross. And Lord, let us ever be reminded, let us ever be mindful of the depth and height and width and length of your love toward us. Let it so be before us that it compels us to pour out the love that has been poured in and on us. That you might be lifted up and seen for who you truly are. Lord of all, Savior of the world. May those currently walking in darkness come to hear your gospel. And be compelled to bow the knee and profess you as Lord and Savior of their lives. May they see your love, experience your love, and respond in kind. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I uh, I just uh, I just want to just encourage you all. Um, we've been on this uh, rooted and grounded in love journey now for a few weeks and Um, just I I want you to leave with the question in mind what must I do with what I've heard today what is God challenging me to do with this, this, this this truth this word Meditate on that. Go to God in prayer about it. And have an attitude to be a doer. Lord, what are you saying to me? In what way must I humble myself before you? Lord, I want this. I want to walk in this kind of love. I want to be able to agape my neighbor. I want to be like the good Samaritan in this story, I want to be like Jesus. Declare that and ask God to give you the grace and to lead you and to guide you into growing in and walking in it. Do something active with it.
You know, be purposeful with it. Don't just say, that was a good word. You can start there. And I would appreciate it. Thank you. But it's not my word, it's God's word. And and we all are accountable to him to be doers of his word. So I just want to exhort you. I want to challenge you. Have that attitude to be a doer. And and, and, and let that guide your prayers. Let that uh, be... Uh, do further work, do further study on um, on the word that was uh, shared during this message, and see what the Spirit of God speaks to you, and humble yourself before Him and obey Him. Amen.